Hello, hello, Asymmetry. What's going on, everybody? Back in the saddle in the United States, and we jumped right back into Mirai-style bonsai, full-fledged, had a, a tremendous elongating species class, and got to sit down with one of my students who I've been working very closely with over the past several years, um, just just kind of finding our our bonsai approach and really nuancing bonsai in the eastern United States, exploring climate, exploring technique, exploring methodologies and ways to take old trees and continue to improve them. Bob Moeller is a, a wonderful human being, an absolutely spectacular, talented musical mind. And we just sat down and had a good old-fashioned conversation, talked about some bonsai basics, talked about life in general. Um, I think you'll you'll benefit a lot from listening to Bob. He's He's been a huge uh, influence and mentor for me. And uh, I welcome you to sit back, enjoy, and uh, have a listen. Well, we had a quite the weekend. Fantastic class. Jesus, it was it was really it was really fun. I enjoyed the group immensely. I did too. Met a lot of great people. Yeah, I think uh, the things the things that were created this week was were pretty impressive too. Yeah, we turned out a lot of cool trees. I, <clears throat> it was funny as you were repotting that, and you and Sebastian were repotting the Colorado blue spruce, and I was like let's not put this on a slab and you come back with the perfect slab <laughs> it's just it's like, with that cup it was just like come on yeah it's made for yeah it. this is it yeah, yeah that was that was amazing and i was looking around the greenhouse a lot of stuff's on slabs i could see you being like let's chill on the slabs i mean when in rome you know like uh Jan, Jan's work is is oh, no. obviously super beautiful yeah i'm so not want to chill on the slabs i so want to dive deep and just they're so beautiful and they're lightweight and they're easy to work with. Like everyone gets older and that's like the big complaint. Everything's too heavy. Well, just it, the lightness is great, but also from a, a business standpoint, I think fewer people want to buy a tree on a slab yeah. than in a pot, right? Yeah. 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 Oh. But I mean, there is, when you look at the, the types of trees at Mirai that are on slabs, it's not like there's a traditionally styled tree that we stuck on a slab. It's like yeah. all the really wild stuff that it just feels almost almost like you can't put it on any or in anything else but a slab yeah that that kind of uh that kind of feels like the direction that it's gone yeah if the pot's going to tame the tree then the slab is the obvious choice i mean over domesticating the wildness and that was one thing is when fujikawa was here he said the material is far more wild than anything in japan right and right. And, and and he was very just very matter of fact about that it's the stuff is just the aesthetic and everything else is just very very wild but also because their yamadori is just depleted from you know many more decades of collecting yeah i mean i think their pines typically tend to be pretty vanilla even when you look at the sylvestris and the mugo from europe are, are can be pretty wild and the japanese trees just don't um, in, in the mountains don't have the environmental influences that I guess create that same thing. Mm. So you see white pines that have sort of the more soft curvaceous movement and a little bit more of that traditional form. There are some obviously some wild outliers and I think the shimpaku that they have in Japan have, have a, a, a wild air about them. But, um, but all in all, I mean, we North American... Yamadori is, is is a very special thing. Definitely, there's no definitely. doubt about it. I think in a in a perspective of spruce specifically, our Colorado blue spruce, you know, 
being in the elongating species mindset now after this weekend uh, and kind of reconnecting with spruce, it was like, oh yeah, no, these are, these are freakishly wild. Yeah. Yeah. And it's great that we have like vast areas to collect in. Yeah. I mean, this country is just so huge. Japan has, you know, seven islands to, to choose from. So it's a lot more limited. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, uh, the real collecting boom in Japan, early 1900s, from that late 1800s, early 1900s was kind of the beginning of it. And you're talking about a vast majority of the really prestigious collecting locations probably collected out by the 40s and 50s. And they've sort of been finding, I think, pieces that continue to, particularly as they move farther north into Hokkaido, they found newer right. resources. But yeah, I think it's been a while since Japan has had a, a large quantity of available material. Sure. And being in Europe, it was interesting over the trophy lime. I don't know what you thought about this, but the the Sabina junipers from Spain were just, it was like they were everywhere. But the one thing I noticed about them is the highest quality Sabina junipers weren't, weren't uh, present. Really? No. Even like the ones Sab- you know exist, but they weren't at the show? Mm, yeah. And the ones, the ones that you've seen before, maybe the first ones that were collected because people are like, I'm only going to take something really nice. And you saw that that caliber and quality of Sabina and seeing the Sabinas that were there this time, it was like, well, those, yeah, they're nice. They're nice, but they're, they're, they aren't of the same caliber as, as some of the Sabinas and, and collected material that I've seen in the past. Are you afraid that those ones you saw in the past are now dead? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I think this is always the fear with Yamadori, right? Yeah. Is um, what happens to the initial stuff that's collected. Right, right. Because I know for any species, I mean, take for example, Doug fir. They've been collecting Doug fir for, they've been collecting Doug fir in the Rockies for 40 years uh, and maybe even longer, maybe 50 years. And occasionally you'll see one of the really old Doug fir that was collected, but this is a species that's incredibly tricky. Incredibly yeah. tricky and incredibly nuanced, incredibly challenging. Well, the story you were telling about the one where you're watching the slow decline of a branch over five years yeah. through no one's fault, but it's a something happened in collection where the tree, you you can't cut both of the crack roots and yep. it's just one side is going to slowly go away. Yeah. And you yeah. only figure that out by living with it for a decade and seeing what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing it happen to other ones too. So it's not just a one-off, right? I don't, you would hate to put out knowledge that this is happening and it's not true because i think there's a lot of i think there's a lot of uh bonsai fallacies that start that way sure but uh but it the elongating species genre in my mind is still the most underexplored i think the sabinas were beautiful but i was really blown away by all the deciduous trees really just absolutely root over rock like there was so many absolutely fabulous deciduous trees over there Mm. just made me realize how far behind we are to catch up to some of the stuff that I saw. I was just absolutely... And the olives, like... Yeah. I mean, the Broad, olives... Broadleafed evergreens, yeah. Those two, I was just... I don't know. It, it it was inspiring, and it was wonderful to see, and to come home and be like, hey, we need to really push who we are. Mm-hmm. You know? How far-ranging are the exhibitors? Like, how far afield do they come from for that show? Because oh, the gosh, national show all here, over Europe. they can only come from the U.S. Mm. and Canada, so you know yeah. where all the trees come from. But that show seems like they could reach deep into Eastern Europe, Russia, South right? Africa. Even <laughs> well, I mean, an attendee, but he wasn't. Yeah, atten- he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't. Oh. He, wasn't uh, he was helping with the vendors. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, all of all of Europe for sure. 
I, I don't know if there were, I know there was, there's always, um, a strong Polish contingency that comes. And I know that, um, Croatia and the Czech are, are definitely present. Um, but it's hard to know where everybody, I know this time they had talked about, uh, some people that had attended from an Island off of the coast of Africa that had flown in for it. There were some, some, um, some characters from Malta there. Uh, one in particular, who's just a fantastic guy. I've, I've, gotten to spend time with him on multiple occasions but all the way up from malta you know off the south of italy right and so that yeah i it's a big show sure it's a big show Yeah, potentially bigger than here just because there's so many countries you can draw from definitely bigger than our national show yeah I think and the vending was just beautiful the cool part was is as you walked around the show i got to people uh, a couple times they stopped hey could you take a photo of our group and uh, someone, we were talking with someone, they were like, oh yeah, people come in their groups because there's a lot of little clubs. And I was like, well, I'm going to ask these people, are you guys a club? They go, yeah, we came as a club, but we were from, you know, so-and-so we came from there. Mm-hmm. I got to take photos and it was just a big group of people who randomly got together and, you know, came to the shows. It was really cool. It was very yeah, different than super here, cool. you know? Yeah, very different. Cool. Yeah. It's cool to see these little, it's like, it's like Boy Scout, it reminded me of Boy Scout camp. <laughs> literally it's like oh look this is a troop from so-and-so like yeah. we could have put a troop number on them or something it was great yeah <laughs> boy the british guys roll hard uh bastards i love them <laughs> don't hang out with them too much yeah you 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 very well could be british and i think life. i might have some british blood i mean yeah they drink like they don't want to live tomorrow <laughs> it's amazing it's amazing was peter there yeah, Peter oh, was there. Cool. Dude, with Peter his baby. There. Oh, it's uh, so yeah, adorable. What son. a good father. Man, he just looks so good as being a dad. Yeah, his face did, just man. glowed, dude. That's his, great. And his child was the cutest baby I've ever met. A smile the whole time, just happy to be with everyone. These, these little cute smiles, doing these little mannerisms. It was just great to see. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty It was pretty good. I'm so stoked for Peter. Good. I love Peter. Yeah. yeah he's a great what guy. a great yeah. dude. His wife, what a gem, man. That's a gem. Yeah, Satomi's awesome. Yeah, what a gem. She's really wonderful. Yeah, yeah it, it was a wonderful trip. Uh, it 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 was interesting this weekend, or I keep saying this weekend, but it was interesting the past four days, um, exchanging stories of how we all got into bonsai. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and you had a story about your linden that I've <laughs> that I've experienced, <laughs> but. I know you've already told it once. I, I was hoping we could go back to your Linden because I thought sure. I didn't get the whole story as I was sitting there at dinner, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to hear it again in terms of how that came to be. Sure, sure. Be- because you got into bonsai far earlier than I had I had actually realized. Yeah, I had a big break from it to go have a, a career in music in New York, but 1974, let's say I'm 12 years old, living in suburban New Jersey kind of the weird introverted kid. And my good friend, Colin Ioso, shows up with this, um, like a brochure from this company called Sarasota Bonsai Gardens. And I'm looking at these pictures of these little trees and pots and I just freaked. I mean, I felt like some part of me had been looking for this Mm -hmm. my entire life. So I'm just like, I took the catalog from him, just looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. And, um, you know, that was, that was what turned me on to bonsai, basically. So there is a, uh, a nursery garden center in the town neighboring mine, and they happen to have a small selection of bonsai that a, uh, 
a local gentleman who was sort of like a high level um, amateur um, provided to them to sell. So I'm biking out there to look at them every day. And my parents are like, wow, this kid's really into this, this bonsai thing. So they bought me one for my birthday. It was a gardenia radicans. So basically mm. like a, you know, soft wood um, landscape plant. Right. And the reason they had them there is because they can survive inside. So it's almost like a tropical. Did you say how old you were at this? 12. 12 years old. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So 12 is a magic number. Yeah, it for is. bonsai, for the discovery of bonsai. This is there's a consistency to this. Interesting, like entering puberty, awareness of bonsai. I wonder uh -huh. if there's something there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they bought me this bonsai, and I was super delighted. And um, I put it on my nightstand, and I'm slowly watching the leaves, you know, lose vigor and fall off. So I'm going out to the garden center, like help me, help me. So there was a young guy that worked there that said, all right, we get these trees from this guy named Gordon Hennessy, who's, you know, long since passed away. But now, I mean, he was alive then, yeah. obviously. And um, I'll, I'll call him up and see if we can get some advice for you. So long story short, in this segment, pushed and pushed so I could actually get the guy's phone number, talk to him directly. So he says, take a little razor and slice through the cambium. Is it green? Yes, it's fine. It's like, okay, that's great. Put it on a uh, humidity tray. Done. Still watching the leaves slowly <laughs> desiccate and fall off. So, you know, push, push, you know, can I, can I bring it out to your place? So the guy at the greenhouse said, this guy, if you can go out to his home, he has miniature forests and just like ridiculous trees. I mean, the stuff in the in the florist was just an experiment, like, will people buy this? Mm. And going out to his place, so he invites me out, my dad drives me out, and it was a rainy, misty morning, and we step into his yard, and he has this cut leaf Japanese maple that's just dripping with dew and moisture and just weeping, and my dad still remembers, like, that maple tree was just amazing. So I sort of became his little kind of apprentice. I. My dad would drive me out, um, you know, a few times a season. I'd help him around his garden in the morning, and then he'd show me something. Mm. So that was my introduction to like someone teaching me about bonsai. And then he said, oh, well, the guy that I learned from is this guy named Chase Rosade out in New Hope, Pennsylvania. If you can, hook up with him. So obviously I go out of my way to hook up with Chase Rosé's. And now my dad's driving me an hour and a half <laughs> to Chase Rosé's place. So I was his student as a, as a teenager, as a young, young man. And it was great. And then life sets in, I go to music school, and then I'm going to live in New York City and have a career as a drummer. So obviously, um, it was okay until 1996. I kept my trees at my parents in New Jersey. I drive out on the weekends and take care of my trees. I devised like an automatic sprinkler system mm. so that my dad didn't have to worry too much about stuff. We had a little tiny suburban house and the south side was about as wide as from here to you, like you know, 10, 11, 12 feet. Right. And that was the only sunny spot. So I had this shelf that I nailed to the side of the house. My parents were very tolerant yeah, of my I, hobbies. Yeah, I guess, right? And I put up like a, a, a lattice, like a sun thing, because that's what I saw in the books, and I guess you need to do that. Sure. 
And I had a shelf nailed to the wall and I had my trees there and I collected stuff. I crawled the nurseries, looked at the junk piles, did all the stuff. It's really cool to, you know, listen to your younger students and people on the forum. It's like, I was that guy. Oh yeah. You know, and this is before internet, before any information was out there. I'm just crawling the nurseries, looking for interesting stuff. You know, the junky stuff is cheap. <laughs> so I bought a bunch of stuff, killed tons of stuff. Right. But the Linden came about because uh, I did have a summer job at this same greenhouse in the neighboring town. And in the back was like a two and a half gallon pot with a stick, like a six foot stick in it with leaves on the top. And I bought it for like $5. And then it was like, okay, because I had seen like the trunk chop and cultivating from you know, regrowing right. everything. It's like, I can do this. Yeah. So I got it. And put it in a pot and it would always, what I would do in the winter is I just bury all my pots in the ground in the garden and put plastic around them to make a windbreak. And they all survived. Hmm. The ones that I kept outside, I also made the mistake of, oh, we'll just put them all under the porch. It was like a way of getting into the space under our porch. I had no idea that they needed water in the winter. I mean, just no knowledge. Yeah. If Mariah was around then, who knows what would have happened. <laughs> so this world, Linden- The world would have been different. <laughs> my life would have been different. So. Trunk chop, linden, it's in a pot, it's great. So 1996 rolls around, my parents are ready to get out of New Jersey. You know, tax base is way too high. The kids are grown, we're all gone, it's like out. So what am I gonna do? So while I was going out to Chase's, there was a, a student of his that I happened to know from high school. We actually played in a band. He was a couple of years younger than me and I saw him out there, I was like, dude, you know, Reed Troutman, you're into bonsai? It's like, that was the like quirkiest thing. I wouldn't even tell people I was into it. It was so like weird and I was kind of shy and not socially very together. Right. So it was like my my private little <clears throat> hobby. So I see this guy out there. It's like, yeah, I study with Chase. I'm like, that's great. Can I give you all my trees? Because my parents are moving out and I live in New York City. It's like, use them, put them in the ground, do whatever you can. Just don't, you know, just do something so they live. Yeah. So I did that. And then never heard anything, you know, just went about my life and spent 20 years in New York City, you know, playing drums and building recording studios and being mm -hmm. a musician and recording engineer. And then moved upstate in 2004. And it was our first house and never owned a place to live. And my wife and I both wanted to get back to nature because I grew up, my playground was the woods at the end of my street. And going through music school in New York City, didn't get much of that at all. So right. I was like, I want that again. So we go up there and all of a sudden kind of dawns on me, I can pursue bonsai again. Mm. So I reach out to Chase and there he is, older. He had you know nasty accident where his tractor rolled over on him and he had a long recovery. Sweetest guy in the world. Mm. He's like, can I come out? I just wanna reconnect with this love that I have for bonsai. So I drive out and he's like, you know, Reed, he left his tree like 10 years ago. I think it might be yours. And in his like back 40, like shit bed, you know, it's, there's my linden. The, Are you kidding? The top had completely died out of it, but there it is. What? My, my gnarly hurting linden that I didn't know what to do with. And the, the whole apex is dead. And I'm like, is it, this, this is, is great. Yeah, but 20 years later? Uh, let's eight, see. 15? Like 12, 12 or 13 years later. <laughs> it's like a love story. No, no, like you reconnected 80? with your high school love or yeah, something yeah. like that, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, 16 years later. 16 years yeah, later, okay. Yeah. So 
here's your tree. You know, I had brought a, uh, I think I brought a, a Korean hornbeam out to, to do a little work on that I bought at, at Bonsai West, just like a field grown, you know, stock. I wouldn't call it pre-bonsai, but it, you know, it was ready to be developed. So we bring the linden in and, you know, I've got this great picture of him kind of like scratching his head over it, probably thinking like, <laughs> oh what God. are we going to do with this piece of garbage? Because yeah. it's like, there's nothing here. But it was just great to reconnect. So I took the tree back and started slowly building my collection. And what I did with the style, for lack of a better word of that tree, I took a side branch and turnbuckled the side branch over about four years. I just cranked it up to become the new trunk line and develop an apex from there. And you've seen it. It's like got all these knobs and it's dead the, It's wood the coolest tree ever. It's one of, it's, I love it. It's a strange thing, but it's it's my past. It's, <laughs> it's my connection with my bonsai past. It literally reminds me of like that girl you had a crush on in high school. Reconnecting. And then you reconnected with like, this is a love story, man. This is beautiful. Some well, small it's, town. it's cool yeah. to still have a piece of, of my past. I mean, you know, you know, your story when you showed us your very first procumbens bonsai, you yeah. still have it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. You know? it's yeah. It's truly amazing. <clears throat> not very many people, not very many people have, have their first their first one no. or or one of their first Yeah, I ones. can't call it my first. I killed off my first 20. Yeah. I'm sure, but that was the only thing from my early bonsai days and I had this so huge awesome, gap. So awesome, dude. You're it, so blessed. It's it just cool. like yeah. it's just and it really is the gnarliest kind of ugly in a really interesting way, just just a fantastic time capsule. It breaks all the rules. It's butt ugly and it's cool <laughs> at the same time. It's very cool. I'm 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 a huge fan of the linden. I need to see this. And I it's it's seen a large it leaf linden too. So its oh. leaves are huge. And with all the Mariah knowledge that I'm gaining by being a fully indoctrinated member <laughs> for three years. I'm actually finally or? getting reduction and I'm I'm working on quieting the thing down, but it grows really fast and it kind of flushes constantly. Like once hmm. it's out all summer long, it'll just keep on growing. So you're always going back in and, okay, this one's got four leaves now, go back to two. Yeah. So I'm applying the techniques I'm learning from Ryan and it's starting to actually reduce, which is stunning because, you know, the normal leaf size is, you know, So you've gotten massive. a leaf to come down a lot, huh? Yeah, it's starting to reduce. That's sexy. Yeah. That is yeah. sexy. I feel like Tilia, you know, going back to the deciduous trees in Europe, oh. <clears throat> I've never seen, I've never seen a... Uh, I'm trying to think. I don't think I've ever seen Attilia in the ter in the trophy uh, for as fantastic of a deciduous species as Tilia is. Yeah. I would think you would see more of them in Europe. I know Walter Paul has a bunch that he's been working on for a long time, but I I don't know how common it is as a species that that people create deciduous trees with native to Europe. Though I mean it 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 seems as though it would be something that people would want to work with because they are pretty awesome. Yeah. Particularly yeah. the the little leaf um, linden. Yeah. Is, yeah. is really nice. I mean, yeah. this one in the 80s, it was your, like, the town buys these trees and puts them in the little cutout square on the sidewalk. That's what lindens were used for because they were hardy and it was just this sort of very forgettable tree. And they, the only variety was the large leaf and now with the small leaf. And I looked it up, there's like, dozens of different subspecies of linden mm -hmm. and i was in europe over the summer and i saw some with dinner plate size leaves yeah and i saw some with small leaves yeah and the little leaves that you're working on are really nice i like to i mean because you're talking you know you're talking a kind of a ping pong ball on the big side but you can get them to reduce yeah much more than that 
which and, and it's a beautiful heart shaped leaf. It's just got a wonderful, yeah, wonderful character to it. Fall color is great. Is yep. your big leaf fall color pretty beautiful? Yeah, yellow, a nice yellow. Sure, oh, I love that. Yeah. yeah, I'd be happy to get the leaves down to ping pong ball size. I yeah. consider that a win. Yeah, that tree with that scale of foliage would look ridiculous. Yeah, sounds like you're on the path though. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to look at. I mean, yeah. all the all the stuff I did technique wise before having you know decent knowledge. Like I would need to create taper. So I would cut the branch on an angle where there was a, a, a secondary underneath it. And then I would wire the secondary up to try to continue the line. So I see these old scars of, you know, a 45 degree angle cut and pull the branch up and then try and get that to heal and create taper. And I never knew, you know, the Mirai method where it cut it straight, work it from there. And then it's healthier because there's the thing is just a factory of scars and the wood is really weird the wood is very fibrous mm -hmm. so it's the kind of thing you make one cut and if you need to go back and clean it up you can't it's all yep. you need to clean it with a knife yep. so it's a very strange wood holds a lot of water yeah it's it's not like anything else it's very soft it's like a succulent almost yeah yeah yeah, hmm. yeah. which it which is wonderful for bonsai as a deciduous species because it's very flexible yeah hmm. and that's not many deciduous species let you just kind of have your way with them yeah. and and manipulate them as you see fit. That is that is hard to find deciduous trees that give you that kind of freedom and flexibility. It's a great subject for, uh, for beginners too, because it grows really fast. It puts out adventitious buds all over the place, mm -hmm. you know, trunk, old wood, you know, and cracks in the bark. You know, if you feed it, it'll just explode. Yeah. 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 I mean, this whole conversation though, that, that, we want to have tonight came about as we've kind of been evolving the trees that you've been working on because you your collection is just in this i would say paramount rise of quality and and the, with the time now that you have to put into it it's like um and this has become a it was kind of a, an initial project that's really grown legs and has evolved and i thought i think our conversation around your collection has been really interesting to see the changing nuances of actions that we are taking on your trees as we get them to slow down and yep. um, you know the behavior of the the techniques and the goals and the considerations and I don't think I mean I don't know how you feel but I don't think a lot of people talk about how your approach to a tree changes over the course of time which is an unfortunate lack of conversation that 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 ideally would exist more in bonsai because it's not just a static sort of this is what you do right exactly i mean there have been <clears throat> i think there have been some conversations about deciduous trees and sort of the disciplined nature over the course of time of, of yeah. applying just a, a real regimented application of knowledge to get to that payoff 20 years down the road but i I think when you move from development to secondary to refinement in the stages of that tree's evolution, that there's very different, there's a very different mentality to each of those in sure. terms of fertilization and timing for application of knowledge and stuff. And um, so just kind of reviewing where we're at with your collection felt appropriate. I don't know. I got a lot out of it. I mean, the good thing about what you're bringing to the community and the world is you're exposing us all to other people's approaches. So you can choose your your approach. Yeah. If Walter's thing works for you, do that. And across the board. Yeah. But as things change and who's trying what and how is it working? I mean, these 
you know, practitioners developed a, a method and a doctrine over decades. Yeah. That's their thing. I'm kind of fishing around, you know, my climate is unique, upstate New York, you know, cold, wet springs, short growing season, summers can be hot and dry, but it's all kind of compressed and a little weird, mm -hmm. like figuring out what's right for me. And then in the context of all these different trees and different states of development, right? like my specimen Japanese maple is what kind of got us on this conversation. Yeah. And the thing about it is um, I pinch it religiously every spring. I mean, every you know, second shoot that comes out, every flower that is there, they're gone the day they come out. I pinch it twice a day, morning and night, till it's done. And then it'll leaf out, large leaves, and then I'll take, take the largest one off, and then I'm left with the same tree. It's beautiful to look at, it's very classical. You know, it's a nice, beautiful ball. Mm -hmm. But I tend to produce the same tree every year. I am getting some uh, ramification, but I'm not getting what I would call like quantifiable, I pinched and I'm getting intergrowth and I see all this stuff I can cut back to next fall after leaf drop. I know where I'm going to go. I'm kind of, it almost feels static. Mm -hmm. So that's what I spoke to you about. And I'd like to continue that conversation with what are the options? What should we try? You know, I'm, I, I trust you. So I'm cool. Like trying stuff on yeah. the tree. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> this, your Japanese maple and calming so this whole notion of getting a Japanese maple to slow down, this has been like the, this is like the epicenter of every <laughs> conversation I have with anybody who has, who I see their trees and I'm like, oh, you're having success with your techniques as they apply to deciduous. Right. And uh, I asked, I think I asked Andrew Robson about it and the conversation might've gone in a different direction. So I don't know if we ever got back to it and asking Dennis about it. One of the interesting things that Dennis said is he doesn't fall fertilize, which which definitely makes sense that it would take some of the extra pizzazz and the thickening out of the tree. Right. I think one thing about the apex of Japanese maples when they do stay extremely, because two-thirds of your Japanese maple is producing beautiful fine ramification. Right. Right. It's just that apical region where all of that strength exists and you say, gosh, how do I, how do I control that? How do I uh, you know, reduce that? And how do I reduce it in terms of internode length? How do I reduce it in terms of coarseness, thickness, and vigor, etc.? And when I was with Tunis Jan in Rotterdam, uh, he was talking about how when he's when when things are swelling to produce growth in the spring for terminal growth, instead of pruning the terminal bud off, he'll come and he'll just remove it with his fingers, mm -hmm. the terminal bud. And once he removes that terminal bud, it now stimulates the buds below that terminal bud. So the next inner node down would be stimulated to grow. Now, you, you know that if you prune that terminal bud, instead of removing it with your fingers, you would also stimulate those buds before it to grow, right, correct? Right, But what he was saying is by removing the, the bud with your fingers, it allows the, the buds that are stimulated to grow below it, it forces them to be a little bit finer, and he will come back and pinch those buds instead of allowing them to run and once he pinches those, if he continues to get aggressive growth, the pinching of those pieces stimulates the finer, adventitious, 
sort of tertiary buds that exist inside of a Japanese maple. And that is how he gets the the really strong, robust, vigorous areas of a Japanese maple to calm down. And then once all the growth is hardened, he comes back and he prunes back into that finest growth that he's gotten to produce. Right. So again, step one, pinch off the terminal buds on the strongest pieces. You stimulate the secondaries to grow. As soon as those leaves come out, he'll, he'll basically be flicking that new piece of growth, boom, to separate it, pull out that central stem. So he doesn't even wait till for it to start opening. He's actually in it right as it's coming out. He's getting that central stem out. Interesting. And then because of the abundant sugars and starches that exist inside of uh, Japanese maples and all deciduous trees, that gives him that tertiary flush of buds, which are the smaller pieces that we're ideally trying to cultivate and stimulate growth with. And I think one of the discussions we've had about your Japanese maple is, okay, you 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 pinch that uh, initial elongating growth, right? And then when you pinch that elongating growth, you come back and you remove one of two leaves and partially defoliate, right. and, th- and your tree doesn't really push again. It doesn't. It never has. It's like a single flush tree. Right, right. And so I think inside of that, there's also the notion, um, because I was in on the East Coast working with a, a student who has just an absolutely really bang up Japanese maple collection. And, um, and he was saying that his partial defoliation methodology with a Japanese maple is he takes off uh, one of one of the two leaves at every single internode, and then he cuts off all the fingers of his leaves and just leaves the palm at the uh, same time. Uh, at the same time, interesting. Uh, in that reduction of fifty percent plus, because I've found sixty to seventy percent reduction is what's necessary to stimulate that second flush of ramification. Right. He has maples that are pretty hard pressed to produce a second flush. That when he takes off the fingers of the Japanese maple's leaf structure, he gets that 60 to 70% because one of every two leaves is already 50%. Right. That little additional sugar reduction, because the leaves of Japanese maple are quite large, you've got to push it past the point that it can no longer support itself with the sugars it can produce, gives him that second flush. So I think for your tree, you almost have a multitude of things that need to be done and probably some of them very specifically to the apical region in in a little bit more of an excessive reduction of that strength just to get it pulled back to where the rest of the tree exists. Right, right. Here's a question, though. The whole idea of uh, pinching the terminal bud uh-huh. off. So say you have a, a forked branch, and yep. here's, here's your, your terminus of that particular branch. You break the, the buds off. All that's going to do on this particular tree is push whatever latent buds are at that node where those two are originating. So all you're going to get at best is what you already have. Because it doesn't have, pretty much every bud on the tree will develop and push in the spring. I don't have a lot of visible latent buds behind the the outside silhouette of the tree. Everything Mm -hmm. will push. And then if I that's that's my dilemma. It's like, where do I prune back to? I don't have all these finer twigs where I can say, ah, now I can take that thick piece off because I got a fine twig behind it. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I don't get. Yeah, and I think I th- I think because I've seen exactly what you're talking about, where you have a Japanese maple, you know, you have one one branch that bifurcates into two branchlets. Now you're saying, okay. I pinch off that terminal bud and I get buds pushing right at the junction of the bifurcation. And instead of two branches, now you got four yep. is what you're saying. So, yeah. Right? Sometimes it'll overdo it. It'll, you'll get top and bottom and you'll get four. Yeah. And then yeah. you get a, th- a thickening knuckle and then you've got a bigger problem. And I've right. got lots of that to show. Yeah. And I think, I think somewhere along the line as, and I, th- I don't, 
I don't know exactly how this works, but I, th- I think that somewhere along the line, as you apply a mul- multiple application of technique, reduction of the strength in that overly vigorous apical region of the Japanese maple, I have to have, I have to believe, and I have faith that somewhere there's going to be interior adventitious buds that are of a caliber that you're looking for. I don't know where they're going to come from because this tree is particularly challenging. This is a pure strain Acer palmatum of the most vigorous capacity. Right. You're like garden variety. Boom. It's like, I'm just going to kick some ass. Yep. Right. And, but the fact that two thirds of the tree has gotten to the point where it's in really refining, refinable ramification, really delicate. It's all slowed down. And now it's just the apical region. How did those other areas turn to? that kind of really fine ramification because that's happened over the past couple years. Yeah. In some of those areas, they weren't where they're at now. Yeah, it does look, I was looking at it before I came out and it's not as bad as it is in my mind. You know, a lot of it is actually coming along very nicely, right. but it is the apical region. There's a lot of thick stuff there. And again, I'm not opposed to, hey, in order to make this right, you're going to do some cutting and it's going to look ugly for a season or two, yeah. I'm down. Yeah. It's just that I don't really have a clear uh, path and understanding of what exactly to do in that regard. See, but this is where I think that there's a nuance to deciduous trees that isn't uh, maybe quantified from the perspective that when we do those big cuts, right? And, and we talked about this last time in response to some of your, your horn beams and um, the Styrax and, uh, and a few of the other pieces that we've been working on. The bigger the action you perform on a tree, the bigger the response the tree gives you, right? Right. right. And so the action on this Japanese maple's apex can't be a big cutback because it's going to give you a big coarse piece of growth and response. It's right. already jacked full of energy and it's already vigorous. This is where I really like Tunis's uh, technique that he explained. And I'm not sure that I understand it clearly, but this is something that I'm dedicated to hopefully understanding better. I would love to collaborate with Tunis on his approach to the deciduous because he won a ginkgo award with his Japanese maple, which was unheard of for right, a deciduous right. to win a ginkgo. And now he's won the trophy with his Euonymus Alata, which in my mind was, was one of the most stunning broadleaf trees I've ever seen in a European show. Uh, and so he clearly has something working for him and his garden is filled with just incredible deciduous full of success because of these techniques. But the minor action of pinching it off with your fingers instead of pruning it off with a scissor is a very different gesture as far as the tree is concerned. Does it kill the tip or does it just remove that bud and it pushes from the very terminus again. Yeah, so you have the two big buds that exist at the tip of a Japanese maple. Mm -hmm. And then there are also smaller dormant buds that exist right there, which is why um, at that location where you've got the two dominant buds, you've got two uh, dormant buds that exist as well. That's why you'll get four buds down below it if you prune that off. Mm -hmm. Well, if you take off those big fat buds, you're going to stimulate those really tiny dormant buds to grow, which are already weaker right? And then you go and you pinch the central stem out of those, which is going to push the smaller buds back on that region where you're saying, listen, I'm going to get four and it's going to suck. Okay. But then you come back and you partially defoliate and you reduce by 60% the leaf mass of each leaf that you leave behind. I mean, this is like a very consistent, subtle gesture towards the tree to calm down. It's no one big, I cut it back to another branch and now all that energy transfers and that big move gets a big response. And I think this is what we've been looking for to try and turn the volume down slowly 
and consistently in the region of the tree that is still overly dominant. Because you can partially defoliate any singular region of the tree to slow it down and not touch the other portions. You could choose to partially defoliate only the strongest areas, leave the weaker areas or the finer areas untouched. Or you could potentially partially defoliate in terms of one of two leaves and taking off the fingers of the palmate uh, leaf structure. You can take your choice and pick of how far you want to go across this tree. But I do think that that notion of taking off the most dominant hormone-filled buds, letting the weaker buds push and then pinching out the central axis, and then continuing to kind of play that small gesture is probably... There's probably a theme to a degree of how we start to manage strength. Right, right. I had a question horticulturally <coughs> about the idea of um, specifically uh, defoliating or pinching just a part of the tree. Mm -hmm. What is to prevent the tree from saying, well, you you know, defoliated you know, 60, 70% of the leaves in this section. I've got all these leaves elsewhere that are making you know, nutrition for me. Mm -hmm. I don't care. I'm just going to let that section hang. I'm not going to push there because I've got all this other a resource being generated from other parts of the tree. Like, the, how does the tree... It seems to me that, again, they're, they're not thinking beings. They're just going to do what works. Yeah. And if it's saying, I'm getting enough nutrition from X leaf mass, it's not going to care where the leaf mass is. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I could see that, except for there's such an abundant uh, strength differentiation. And I think this is a commonality in the apical regions. Now, does just partially defoliating one location mean that you don't select one of two leaves through the rest of the tree. No, I think you need to do that because that maintains light penetration, that maintains interior ramification health, that helps feed those smaller branches on the interior by allowing all of that to exist. So I think this is a consistent practice. Do you come through and prune off all the fingers of every leaf that you've left behind? I would try, first, first and foremost, I would try doing it on the strongest area of the tree and see, because you're still leaving leaf mass there. Right, right. So it's not like it's void of leaf mass. It's not like it's going to be like, oh, now this area um, has been fully defoliated and the rest isn't, and so no leaves are going to grow and now it's dead. If your apex, that's overly strong and coarse right now, is taken down a notch in its strength and the, the response is a few finer twigs that now become the basis and backbone for that more ramified, refined, energy-balanced uh, apical region that we're looking for, then that's a success, right? right we're right. finding a little bit of a victory in there. Yeah. But I really, um, in terms of, so for me, I didn't, Mr. Kimura didn't practice a lot of deciduous um, bonsai. Right. And I think when you look at the highest level of deciduous practice as, as I continue to accumulate information about it, because I am curious about it to a degree, I, I really enjoy deciduous trees. Now that now that um, hopefully we'll have some protection from deer this year, uh, then I can in, I can invest. I mean, I, I don't think people really realize that deer have been the reason that Mariah has not done deciduous to this point. Right, right. Uh, I've had a lot of deciduous trees munched at Mariah, and I, that's really. I, I just scared off four of them just a few minutes ago. I know, actually, I know it's yeah. it's it's just a con it's a continual nightmare. Yeah, I mean, we live on 130 acres in upstate New York, and I've had to fence my patio. I only did it last year. And I realized I've been rolling the dice for, you know, seven, eight years and winning because we have deer all over the place all the time. And th there's woods, they come out at night. And fortunately, they've had better things to eat than, than my trees. But I consider myself very fortunate that I didn't get munched and now it's all fenced off. Yep, yep. Yeah, I mean, I think we're, I think we're at a point where um, 
once 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 we enter the growing season, the the priority for us is getting the fence up, the old greenhouse down and the fence up. Yeah. To really be able to because we we typically end up hauling deciduous trees in and out of the workshop if we have them here. Right. Deciduous tree. I mean like your trident maple it goes in and out pretty frequently. Yeah, of course. It's just a part of it. But yeah. but I'm I mean um I'm curious and I'm curious for people to dialogue about deciduous knowledge. I'm I'm looking for people to give deciduous knowledge with the same physiological understanding and response of how the tree's behavior is 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 functioning. Yeah. And and I think we're starting to get there. Like like Dennis Boitia really blew really blew my mind. Yeah. I, yeah. I listened to his first podcast. I haven't listened to number two, but I've listened to number one several times and I love number two's gonna Yeah, number two's gonna head. explode I'm, your brain. I'm all over it. Yeah. Yeah, because he just you can't um there's a lot of things that individuals do that are specific to the individual that work. And I feel like Dennis had a pretty solid physiological reasoning behind everything that he does. Oh yeah. It was beautiful. And he articulated it pretty well too. Yeah. 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 Uh, actually today his feature content on Japanese maples released. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'm all over it. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Dennis, Dennis. Airplane is, viewing. Yeah. Dennis is, <laughs> Dennis is, is a really special cat. Yeah. Make that flight even better. But I mean, I think even when we dive into like your larch, historically, your larch has had that same kind of coarseness and how do we get finer ramification? How do we get it to ramify more? What do we do with the growth that occurs? And larch was one of the big ones that that I started with at Mirai originally and initially I, I, I had no interest in larch because in Japan... They hate larch. Right. They right. hate larch. Mr. Kramer <laughs> had a larch. I felt like it was his bastard child. They hate him because they're messy. I, I guess. I don't know. I don't, I, but it, it made no sense to me. He had this old larch in the back of his nursery. A client had left it there, not paid boarding on it for like 10 years. And so every year he would, you know, one of the first year apprentices go prune that back to two buds and, uh, you know, don't let me see it when you're done sort of a thing. It was just like this poor, unfortunate soul of a tree. Right. <laughs> I felt so bad for the tree. Uh, and and come to find that the Japanese larch is like one of the best larch in the world for yeah. bonsai. Uh, but larch, you know, how do you get him to ramify really finely? Because you see a lot of big, knobby, uh, clunky-looking larch, and it's and it's very possible to to distribute that energy. Yeah, and you've closed the circle on when with the piece you put out this spring. You know, pre bud push larch work that connected with the series from last summer. I yeah, mean, that's the methodology. Yeah, and I pursued it last year. We had just repotted it on a slab, so it only gave me like two and a third pushes. Yeah, but you know, in my region, I'd be happy for three like full pushes. Yep. But um, even even the little bit of work I got to do, we saw it's starting to manifest the kind of fine growth that you want to see. Yeah. So I'm totally believing in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think ultimately when you talk about, when people think about trying to get a more and more refined tree, I had this conversation with the group uh, this the past four days, um, the notion that we need to use the bonsai pot you really have to leverage the bonsai pot significantly. And I, this is not something, because we're because information has been scarce and accessibility has been scarce, uh, I think a lot of us still have the repetitious 
uh, voices of the old books that we started Bonsai with in our head, repot every two to four years. Yeah, and, yeah. and guilty. Uh, abso- absolutely, right? Yeah. I mean, this is something that that there's no there's no way to think differently about that if you don't know why you would. Yeah. But then you start to recognize like, oh man, in order to get the kind of level of refinement that the Japanese have pursued, that's really investing in the container, pushing that refined ramified root system all the way to the core central portion of the root mass under the tree and once you build that that then becomes the refinable portion of the roots that contain continues to maintain that refinement and continues to be the epicenter of root regeneration but you've got to leave that tree in that container for longer than the books are telling you definitely that was a total revelation for me and because i look back mica trainers oh put it in a bigger pot so it has more room to grow Mm -hmm. and you just wonder why you're kind of treading water and you're not, you know, moving forward in any of the ways that you want. Yeah. And now that we've put my deciduous in the proper size containers, 100% Akadama, because my soil journey is a whole other story, which fortunately happily ended at 100% Akadama. It did. Yeah, it did. Um, I'm actually starting to see the bonsai effect, you know, mm-hmm. slowing down, reduction, you know, like I said, even the lindens, like, wow, you know, these leaves are a little bit smaller this season. The inner it, nodes are tighter. Yeah, it's yep. working. Everything it about really it, works. the larch is giving us what we want. Yep. Um, and I think too, one thing that was shocking, I think when we looked at your collection, because we did a full, we did a full collection repot two years ago. Two years ago, we blasted through all the decisions. So this will be year three. Yeah, we're starting year three right now. Okay, and we repotted one of those trees to change its design. We repotted the Styrax yep. to change its design. Yeah, so we did that one after two. Uh-huh. It was very apparent that that had another year at least left in the root system. Root system was beautiful and ramified. It was not compressed though. Right. And there was still another year that it could have given that we could have gotten a tighter yeah. root ball out of that would have further enhanced the refinement. For sure. It grew fast and it pushed itself out of its pot the first year, the first mm-hmm. season after, you know, we did it in 2018 spring and yeah. after that year was already rising out of the pot. Yeah. But I also noticed, cause it has sort of like a, a frond-like growth habit. Mm-hmm. And even last season, I noticed that they was, it was less vigorous and smaller, not less healthy, just starting to slow down. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, one more year would have slowed down more, but because we restyled it, having it have a little more juice, I think is a good thing. I think it's a good thing, and I think there's some pieces that we wanted a little bit more action on. Yeah. In the reinvigorating, I mean, we did a bunch of redwoods uh, over this session at Mirai for the elongating species that have been in bonsai containers for seven years. Yeah, blocks. A, 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 a redwood in a bonsai container for seven years. I didn't, I honestly... <laughs> I honestly didn't realize how dense that root mass was, but I knew that there was a problem keeping them watered because they were so right. filled with fine roots. And the repotting uh, physicality of getting through oh, yeah. seven years of scaled roots. Yeah, and you break in and there's dry, dry oh, akadama yeah. in there, and you need a jackhammer to get through that. Yeah. It was great, fun work. Right, and what, but once you break through that compacted surface bottom sides, the core was friable, it was beautifully ramified root mass. And then getting through that and putting them back in, giving them a dose of water, you can literally see them growing right now. Yeah, I noticed over the three days since the, the first day we did the, the big guy, mm-hmm. it looks 
more lush and greener and happy. Yeah. It just does. Yeah, the buds, the buds have taken on. And I think I think seven years for a redwood was probably a little bit much. Yeah. I think I'd I think I'd pushed as far as I could push. If I hadn't repotted this spring, I think the, all of those would have had problems because there just simply wasn't water getting to the core of the tree. And that's really when things start digressing. Yeah, then you go backwards where you're losing your sheen and you have to go back and rebuild exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Recu- recuperate the health of the tree. You lose some branches when the sheen starts to fail. So that's that's always been a really difficult balance for me to try and figure out when is it time how do i know when i've crossed that threshold and it's really come from i mean with larches people talk about larches and you got to repot larches fairly frequently because they grow so fast and stuff i i have yet to repot a larch at mirai that i've seen the root system fully occupy the sheen which means i still had time in every larch and i've had yeah. larches in a singular container for six years yep um so i don't believe and i've seen this with bald cypress as well i don't believe all of the information that is distributed about these species yeah you cannot repot to a calendar i mean the takeaway is forget the calendar yep. deal with what the tree is telling you yeah and yep. it's hard i mean i i can feel it i mean i'm like give me the Give me the rules and I'll follow the rules. Sure. And oh, every two years, deciduous. Like, well, no. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. just listen to what the tree's telling you. Yeah, and I think it's necessary. One of the one of the more uh, stabilizing aspects that takes the fear away for me is just knowing that you have the capacity. You know, whether you choose to use a tape wall barrier to raise the height of the water column so you can actually get water through a tree that maybe you don't repot it and you're like, ah, I should have repotted that one. Like that happens from time to time at Mariah, sure, sure. right? Um, we had a Quercus giriana that we left one year too long and water was clearly not getting in. The tree really, re- really was starting to suffer. We put the, the tape wall on it. Uh, everything was good. When we repotted it the next year, I mean to tell you, we probably had 12 feet of roots in, in the number of times it had circled the container. We stretched it out. It was at least 10 feet, maybe 12. Did you see that lime? Yeah. That was, that was that was the craziest thing I've seen. I remember seen. putting the tape on too with Troy. Troy and I went out and put the tape yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, that was the craziest thing I had seen. And that yeah. was like, oop, that, that, was, that was definitely a year too long. Right. Well, you have a different situation where you've got to manage your time and it might be like, okay, this one's not percolating so well. Let's put the tape wall up. It'll be good for another year. Yeah. Because you need that hour, hour and a half to do something else. Yeah. Well, and I think I, I, for me, it was more like, how far can we go? How far right. can we go? How far can we go? How far can we go? Um, and when you go too far, just to know that there is the capacity to bail yourself out with that singular te- technique, which isn't the most beautiful, but it is an answer and a solution to, hey, I, I want to see how far I can push this tree. It, it was right, kind of fun right. to learn that technique. Mm-hmm. It gave me more comfort in case something does go That's wrong. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's, imp- it's empowering and it allows yeah. you to push the push the threshold. I, I felt very empowered when Troy and I went out there. You were like, this is what I want. And we did that. I was like, ah. Yeah. Yeah, if I mess up, no, you don't up, have to worry about here we it. Go. Yeah, like, yeah, no, yeah. it is a very good. I mean, there, there's, there. You can't get everything every year, man. No, Sometimes no. you get caught up, man. No, you can't. You know? And then you have the opposite problem where you have a tree that's been in a butt ugly pot for two years because that's all you had. <laughs> yeah, and you really want to move it into something uh, that's you prettier. Go. You're like, is it okay? Is it okay to do this <laughs> yeah, now? Can right. I do, can I do this and have the will the tree suffer? How far can I go with this? Right, exactly. Well, like that little crab apple that I'm going to do because yep. front's wrong and it's in. The only pot I had, and it's okay, but it's not a nice little Sarah Rainer that I've got to put right. it in. So right. two years, I'm going to do it. It's going to be fine, but it would reduce better if I left it in there for another year. It's true. It's just, you know, you choose your 
you know, your priority. Yeah, choose your battles. Yeah. Yeah. Such a such a interesting juggling act, this whole bonsai thing is. And that and and where what's more encouraging to me about deciduous trees is the fact that there are so many different solutions to the same question. This yeah, is, that is cool. Huh? Yeah, this is not something that I necessarily yeah. think is as true with conifers. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, I feel like different. conifers yeah. function more slowly. There's there's a definitive need to maximize their energy positive at yep. different times of the year. There's a, There are narrow windows for some of the work to maintain the kind of desired yeah. responses. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you can overgeneralize and say deciduous are more forgiving just because they redo their entire, you know, foliar growth every year. They backbud on old wood and they just do that whole, oh, you can just stump cut it and it'll grow new stuff. Yeah. I mean, obviously conifers, you can't. Yeah. Some you can stump cut. Some you can't. Yeah. Conifers? Or no, deciduous. Uh, yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. there's nuance to everything, yeah. but in generally yeah. speaking, I mean, you can For the most you part. can abuse a trident maple and it'll be okay, and Isn't you can beautiful? abuse a black pine and it'll be dead. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Yeah. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Uh, well, and I think in that same vein, conifers are, when you get to the refinement level, more forgiving. Like you can get refinement back in a conifer very quickly. A deciduous, you can lose that refinement oh, right? very quickly. Uh, that's so that's true. the trade-off, oh, right? Yeah, like a deciduous, yeah. I'm going to be very, I'm, I, I, you can regain, right? I, I, you can screw up and, and, but once you get me to that high level of refinement, you yeah. miss, you miss a pruning, you miss a you partial defoliation. Right. Over-fertilize, you can lose it in a year. Uh, you just blow it out. Yeah. And, and yeah. that, I think it's that, the wire scars forming rapidly and now all of a sudden the future of the tree is really impaired and some of those nuances to deciduous that has ultimately been a little bit, maybe a little bit less inspiring to work towards creating a deciduous facility at Mariah as well because it's like, <laughs> it's already hard enough to get to everything. Yeah. And we're dealing oh, primarily yeah. with conifers. I'm watching you taking on more deciduous and, and the work and the timing you know, like you've been handling like the quince and the trident impeccably, like almost zero wire scarring mm -hmm. because you're like every three days you're I, monitoring. Yeah. I think we'd mean, need more staff. Troy would need help if that was going to happen in more of a, a capacity. Yeah. I mean, I think that's where leveraging Mirai Live. If, ah, people wanna if people want to learn more about deciduous trees, then we'll just use Mirai Live as the, as the tool yeah. to schedule out the work. Yeah. So that it's it, it's not something that f falls by the wayside because it's actually a part of our production and life in Mirai. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's where there's a, a capacity to get this whole deciduous thing to really stick and work well sure. for us. Well, I've been really enjoying. It's like as I see you and Mirai digging into deciduous and learning and experimenting, I'm kind of right along for the ride because I was very stagnant. I was doing all the, you know grow out, cut back, grow out, cut back, all that stuff. And then you end up with the same tree every mm -hmm. spring. It's like, what am I doing? I mean, yeah. this, this isn't fun. Yeah. It's not going anywhere. Yeah. So, yeah. And I feel like there's a whole capacity to style and manipulate deciduous trees like we did with your Styrax. Yeah. Um, yeah. Made the back, the front, leaned it, different tree. And, and I don't know that a lot of people really think about dramatic changes with deciduous trees and dig into the styling. I, at least it's not seen in magazines and publications and people aren't 
doing demonstrations on this kind of alteration, right? Uh, which which isn't what makes whether it's happening or not real. But I think the general consensus with deciduous is you, you don't do that kind of work. You just kind of prune and pinch over the course of twenty years, and now it becomes a tree. And it's just not true. <laughs> no, that's no. not that's not true. Or wouldn't it be beautiful though? <laughs> well, but if it is true, some of the shapes of deciduous trees become quite stale and stagnant over the course yeah. of time. And there's a whole aesthetic realm of deciduous that I don't think people have pushed into. There's no reason that deciduous trees cannot be dramatic. I mean, I think Peter Warren's been really inspiring for me from this perspective with some of the unique ways that he's handled some of the beach and, and uh, interesting pieces of material over the past couple years as I've watched him, you know, in his facility start to create some really interesting compositions. That's been really inspiring yeah. to see I'd some I'd like of to that. see more of that because, again, I mean, deciduous trees are tortured in the wild as much as a conifer. I mean, Absolutely. they have a shorter lifespan just by nature of their species, but they get tortured. I mean, I've got you know, maples up in my place split and hollow and just at the end of life, giant, you know, several hundred year old, you know, sugar maples that have just had the crap beat out of them and yeah. they're, they're, they're done yeah. and they look amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, driving by the white oaks on, uh, on Bennett on the way out and, and there's yeah, that one, there's the one oak out in the pasture yeah. that lost its apex like five years ago. I remember <laughs> I drove by it in the morning and it had its apex. I drove by it in the afternoon and it had, had fallen off. Wow. wow. And I was just like, oh man. And now it just has this super funky asymmetrical, like it's rotting <laughs> and deteriorating, but it's so stately out there. And, and it's exactly what you're talking about. Why can't a bone, why can't a deciduous, look like that yeah well you know yeah. why can't why can't we do that well even on the simple level of when you you had this very beautiful uh linden i believe that was one of your sort of like photo kids mm -hmm. and then one of the streams you you restyled it you aged it and you cut off a lot of branches mm -hmm. and that was traumatic for some people to watch i'm sure but i just totally embraced that whole hey i want to see more of this yeah it's like the, the first round of trees that i bought that were um, finished, I went with my mental dream of the orthodox Japanese perfect form. And that was fine. And then I look around the garden, I keep seeing, you know, lollipop, 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 ice cream cone. And <laughs> having some of those is great, but I want more variety. Mm -hmm. And seeing you um, take that sort of approach to age a tree with a deciduous specimen, I was like, oh, this is cool. I, I need to know more about nice. this. Nice. Mm. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, I, I um, and and I think, I think it's, I think it's easier maybe for for me to think outside the box from a deciduous perspective because I was not indoctrinated right. into a deciduous approach in Japan. Oh, definitely. I mean, I didn't. I didn't, I mean, Mr. Kimura had some great deciduous trees, but they all came from clients or somebody else and they passed through his garden very quickly on the way in and out. Right. Uh, but I didn't, I just didn't have that indoctrination and, and getting, getting to explore it with a, a level of curiosity again, uh, this sort of unknown and the curiosity. I think there are things out there that people are doing that don't get enough attention and getting to bring attention to that or to play with that or to take all of these, I feel like a student again with deciduous. Yeah. Well, your curiosity is contagious and it's it gets me psyched. Going back to Japanese maple for a minute, I have that field grown, you know, very thick stump. I call it the stump Japanese maple. Mm. And then 
last summer I did an experiment on it, as you know, with the defoliation technique, because I think it's the same cultivar. It seems like plain old Acer palmatum. Right. And it will flush more than once, but uh -huh. it's also more in development than the stately, you know, specimen tree. Yeah. But I tried the defoliation because, again, it's not a world-class piece of material. If something happens, it's a learning tool, and I'm sorry, but, it, you know, I was okay with that. Yeah. And it produced much finer secondary growth. It also had the thing of like, well, great, now I've got a, a branch terminating in four shoots and trying to clean up and choose the right two. You're never going to have this great taper. Yeah. But it definitely informed something. There's something in there mm -hmm. with that technique. Mm -hmm. Now, I wasn't quite ready to say, I'm going to do the same exact thing to my specimen maple to see what <laughs> yeah, happens. <right. laughs> but I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm approaching... You know, I'm, I'm willing to try stuff. Mm -hmm. And experimenting on that tree was kind of cool. Yeah. And I'm trying to think like, well, what should I do with it this year? Yeah. You know, what, what, how can I further the knowledge? Because, you know, I don't think I'm going to kill it. And again, it's never going to be like a showpiece. So I'm just having fun with it. Might as well rock and roll. Yeah. 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 Uh, being less serious about bonsai uh, opens up the door right? L less serious, not in terms of dedication, less serious in terms of the rigidity of like, we have to do it this way. Yeah. I, 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 Mariah's always been, I think a place after I was able to separate from the indoctrination and institutionalization of my apprenticeship after really the second year, I think 2012 was the turning point for me. Right. Uh, at Mariah, both in terms of my experience at the national show and listening to the feedback of the judges at the national show and recognizing this is there, there, there are different directions in the Japanese direction to go, and then, and then trying to apply a lot of the things that I thought I had learned in my apprenticeship on Native North American material, and just not being happy with it. Well, it's really inspiring watching you work on deciduous because you're not overcoming indoctrination, mm -hmm. like you, no. you speak yeah. about overcoming your Kimura training, and you are now fully your own artist with the coniferous material right. and with deciduous you're just like on a on a rocket trajectory because you have nothing to overcome you're just a sponge talking to all these cool people that are all having success yeah. for different reasons and you're the person that's going to put it all together present it to us the community yeah and the whole level is going to go up I, I i appreciate that i mean that's that's what i'm hoping happens that's what i'm working for right now because uh it 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 doesn't we all need to be able to make good trees for bones, the level of bonsai to increase. And, and after deciduous trees, honestly, broadleafed evergreens, yeah. um, I'm already, yeah, I'm I already, I, I've, yeah. the, the work on the, on the evergreen oaks and olives oh. and some of those mm. things has been, and, uh, it, well, it's been it's been something that's always been brewing and I've been working on quite a, for quite a while. Right. Uh, but, all of these other Eliagnus as a as a as a hmm. species and the number of native Eliagnus we have in North America that nobody's I didn't ever realize we with. had any. Huh. Oh, we yeah. have so are th many. Are these from Texas that you were talking about? No, that's Leucophyllum. But okay. there's another one, Leucophyllum. Right. Why wouldn't we be using Leucophyllum? Um, on Monday, we're going to be digging out a big landscape plant up near the guest house, uh, which is a Pieris japonica. Mm -hmm. uh, I've never. I've seen a few 
Pieris in in Japan. Uh, it's called Asabi, Asabi in in Japanese. But I've never seen a Pieris like this. This right. is a this is a Pieris of monumental proportion and quality. Rotating, twisting trunk, fantastic. I mean, it's like a it's like another next level Pieris. Cool. Yeah, we have so much material. I mean, <laughs> I grew up in New Jersey. Dogwood trees are forest Dogwoods. understory. God, I love and yeah. I searched high Freaking and low, dogwood bonsai, dogwood bonsai. I couldn't no. find a single photograph no. of a right. dogwood bonsai. So that's either they're difficult to cultivate. I know they're slow growing. They probably don't bud back like a typical deciduous, but somebody must be working with this. Uh, I mean, cornice moss, you can find You can find a few examples on the internet of cornice moss, which is the Asian variety of dogwood. Yeah. But no, I don't think that you see dogwood typically and and... Our native dogwood in the Pacific Northwest is phenomenal, but dogwoods are across North America. All over the place. Yeah, they're, we're too cold for them, unfortunately. But when I grew up, we always knew, you know, going in the woods, you'll find these dogwood understory and you're not allowed to dig them because people would dig them for their landscape mm -hmm. and they were sort of, you know, endangered. So New Jersey law was like, you can't just go dig up a dogwood. But they were they were around. Pink, white, you know, flower before they leaf out. Just yep. beautiful. Yep. I love and, the pink ones. Yeah. I really love the pink My and neighbor's the bark, got a pink one. And they're one. gnarly. They grow like oh, in that, an angular oh, way. Oh, that good bark. It's really yeah, cool. it's great, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been looking for a dogwood to air layer, a really funky branch off of for a long time. Yeah. Apple fruiting trees. Yep. Uh, there's some fantastic apples down at the bottom of the hill that have been pruned over probably like 50 yeah, years. I've you seen know? them. Would yep. love to air layer one of those bad, bad mamajamas. <laughs> <laughs> well, you told me that you saw someone who air layered like a 10 inch diameter. Oh yeah, Bob, Bob Laws. Bob yeah, Laws yeah. apple. You've seen his Gravenstein apple, right? I, I actually have not been to Bob's house yet. Uh, I, I mean, it's been shown in the national show. It's oh, it's oh, still yeah. it's like uh, the reference for apple. But but I tell you what, Nick Lindsay's apple at the Montreal yeah. Botanical Garden. Whoa, yeah. Whoa, this are is, there any photos of that around? Uh, not that I know of, no. Yeah, I did a Nick Lenz cruise and I saw a lot of his, you know, fanciful constructs, which are beautiful, but I didn't see an apple. A bunch he, of his larches. He, he had a number of apples. Sweet. He had a number of apples that came from, I want to say cow pastures or sheep pastures or something that, that were They were getting heavily topped grazed. all the time. Yeah, heavily yeah. grazed, really big, beefy, mm. hollow trunks. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we have a bunch of, you know... Every farm up where I live has had an apple orchard at one time, and it's all gone wild. And I've been scouring mine looking for a good uh, air layer candidate, and I just can't seem to, you know, I wish that we had time when you were out mm -hmm. to, like, go up into the field and look, because I just see, like, okay, straight fork, straight fork. I'm not finding a, a spot where it's like, okay, that's going to be an air layer, yeah. but I'm going to have to look harder yeah. and just yeah. try something. There's got to be something. There's yeah. got to be something. Isn't air layering fun? I had what a beautiful I've done one and it was totally successful. I'm so excited. Like you said, it's the most underutilized propagation technique around. It's 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 a I mean, you can tool. all of a sudden have a tree with a really big trunk and roots that will eventually develop and they're gonna be, you know, concentric yeah. and flaring. It's just incredible technique. It, it was yeah. one of the very first I would call advanced techniques that I picked up and immediately went out and tried to cut on every tree I possibly could. Yeah. Can I cut on your tree, my neighbor? Can I cut on your cherry tree? Like, yeah. it's just a powerful tool, yeah. you know, to yeah. make cool stuff. And with Mariah, you actually know how to do it right. Oh, uh, I mean, we go. it's like all there. <laughs> the technique is there. And again, my first one, I, I did it on a quince that was just had this long, ridiculous, useless trunk, and all the action was at the top. Yeah. Air layered it one season, boom. One of my favorite techniques in the world. I love that. So much fun. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would, I would like to find more subjects to air layer uh, and yeah. just get really good at air layering because air layering is nuanced as well. It's not yeah. an automatic. I mean, you, you had great success your first time. You're a it very, de- you're a very detail oriented yeah. person. And that's what air layering takes. Right. But I think quince might be a pretty forgiving subject too. Mm, it was in yeah. a pot and I, I did a, an Akadama enclosure around it uh-huh. and I could bring it in. So it had, you know, from post first flush air layer all season and then all winter. And I cut it the following spring. So Speaking of dogwood and air layering, I've struggled with my dogwood air layers. I've had a lot of it's failures. It's a slow grower. My, yeah. I've had a lot of failures on my dogwood air layers. Yeah. Keep, keep trying. Keep, keep trying, tra- right? Yeah. I stop. I think Circus canadensis is an amazing red bud. The eastern red bud. Eastern red bud, another one. I mean, incredible. This is, this is a, an, an amazing flowers species. before uh, it leaves out and yep. on the wood. Yes. I mean, it's a weird tree. It's beautiful. But I've had my eye on that for years. Yeah, yeah. A good Circus. Uh, these are things I'm sure in somebody's bonsai collection somewhere. There's a fantastic dogwood. Yeah. I'm sure, there's a fantastic eastern red bud somewhere. But I want to see ten of them. I want yeah. to see 20 of them. I want to know the nuances of each of these trees. That That is what really drives me, my motivation. Sure. I want to know. And you know what really makes me sad is that there's no more Korean hornbeams. This I makes know. me sad. I know. Wow. What a great tree. Mm. Ugh. The bark, the gnarly. Again, learning from, from, you know, past doctrine. I can remember trying to straighten the dog legs out with wire on my Korean hornbeam. And then Ryan is like, this is the way it grows. Just embrace it. It was one of the most freeing moments in my my post, you know, my new bonsai life. It's like, that's the way they grow. You love that. Work with that instead of like, oh man, this branch takes great this thing to right feel angle like- turn. I want to straighten it out. No, because you're thinking of... Some this picture that do. you saw. Yeah, yeah. this is what we got to do. Let, yeah. Just let it be who it is. Oh man. That's Korean. no fun. Korean hornbeams are there, and you have a great one. Great size. Yeah, it's coming along great really well. Great shape and character. Yeah, it really is an interesting. And tree. again, it's it's it came in with a, like one of the last I think groups of imports. You know, Michael at Bonsai West had a bunch of Korean hornbeams and tridents that all came in from some mm-hmm. like the first season I discovered oh. his place. He happened to have all this amazing stock, and I got a trident and that Korean hornbeam. Yeah, I haven't seen any since. Yep. Yeah, I, I, they're they're in terms of. Co- collections around the country if i ever ran across a good korean hornbeam i would be very motivated to to try and have one here at mirai just because i love the the white kind yeah. of the off-white trunk color and it's always rugged and knobby and gnarly and yeah, it's so informal exactly. and as far as a deciduous tree is concerned i don't know if there's a more interesting informality to the deciduous form um and seeing seeing hornbeam handled in Japan in an informal way was really interesting and really rewarding to get to see that because there is such, I think, a, a strict definition that surrounds a lot of the deciduous forms and manners of handling in Japan. Felt like hornbeam somehow escaped some So they of that. embraced the hornbeam's natural tendencies in Japan. They didn't try to force it into looking like a beach or something. No, no. I think they. I think that they definitely, a hornbeam is going to be a hornbeam whether you like it or not. Yeah, right? I, I found that out. So uh, hornbeam's going to give you a big middle finger if you don't, <laughs> don't want to let it be what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a monster. And there's some really beautiful native hornbeam species in North America. Yeah, American hornbeam. I Just, mean, yeah, there why, it is. Why, why, wouldn't, why wouldn't we be using that? And yeah. why wouldn't there be great collected 
American hornbeam material out there somewhere. Yeah. Or at least great field grown American hornbeam material. Right. This this seems this seems like an obvious to me. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'm not going to be the one out there planting it and growing it. So we need to get <laughs> Randy to field grow again and have him grow Korean hornbeams. Yeah. From yeah. cuttings or something to get some stock going. It would take a hundred years. <laughs> but maybe a worthy investment yeah. for the future. Somebody right. down the, the line generation. would be like, this old crazy, batshit crazy old man started growing these 100 years ago. Anybody want these? And everybody will be like, oh, I don't want that garbage. You know, 100 yeah. years later, they won't know what they're throwing away. <laughs> right. Ugh. Man. Yeah, it, it's, it'll be very as, and I, I noticed this in Europe too, because I think Europe... I think Europe has to a large degree satisfied I think they've satisfied their their not fascination but I think that they have satisfied the itch of the big coniferous movement and there is a real pushback towards deciduous trees. God, they were beautiful. In Europe, man. there's a real push back in that direction and so many beautiful ones. And getting getting to see uh, the deciduous world rise again. Yeah, it's fascinating because in Japan, the deciduous world is is you know sort of lose lost a lot of its clout. So you think that's declining faster than the the conifer world in Japan? Like deciduous is going the, first. I, I I don't know what the prices would be on on good deciduous trees but i know when i was apprenticing they were quite low mm. huh. even for a really great deciduous tree the the prices were quite low um and that sucks man yeah it's yeah. such a beautiful thing you know but i mean this is the ebb and flow of interest and fad and mm. in um in culture and infatuation and um curiosity and right and I think one of the one of the questions that exists in bonsai is can you can bonsai become a lifestyle practice this is my question anyways can bonsai become a lifestyle practice where um these things can be handled in a really beautiful way and you can really roll and 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 be soft enough and flexible enough to really roll with the changes between a broadleaf and a deciduous and a conifer where you sit down for a single sitting of work and you're able to just flow through these three genres huh. and the species that you would engage with with them and just be able to transition as if it's right. second nature. This this is where I aspire to go because with a conifer it's I I, I feel that and with deciduous, I'm becoming more comfortable with that. And the 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 goal is to become proficient enough that deciduous is also like a um, you know a natural action, like right, a right. like a subconscious thought almost. Yeah. The seasonality of deciduous just pulls me in more. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. we get every season, we get even moments of it. In the, yeah, it has uh, a lot of a lot of attraction. I mean, I'm more of a deciduous person, at least. You know, I'm. I'm now adding to my conifer collection to balance things out. But I grew up in New Jersey, surrounded by deciduous seasons. So you have, you know, winter silhouette, fruiting, flowering, yeah. fall color. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There is. They're beautiful, man. There's a lot okay. going on. But I, I really like think the, it has like to do container. with where you grew up. I mean, you grew up inspired by what you saw in Colorado, and I grew up inspired by what I saw in New Jersey. Yeah. And that's why I initially was, all I had was deciduous. 
Yeah, the East Coast is much more deciduous than the all, all I had was aspen trees yeah. and cottonwoods. Yeah. And I'm still looking for my first cottonwood. Right. Yeah. But I've got two aspens now, which I'm quite excited about. Oh yeah, man, I love dude. I love the one you did on the stream. Ugh. And I am coming down on the Witch King. It's uh, it's oh, gotta witch, that witch King. That's, of that that's your vote. <laughs> that's my vote. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought there were some very strong suggestions there. Yeah. Yeah. And with the beaver gnaws that you're leaving alone, I mean it's great. I mean, your whole approach, most people would not even look twice at that piece of material oh. be like throw it on the burn pile i don't know it's how it's a rainy cool. night phrase <laughs> i don't know i don't know yeah that is I'm i don't seeing know the, how it's flowering out there mm -hmm. it's, it's got flowers on the tips yeah, it's got the it's catkins good. doesn't it yeah, yeah it's yeah it's a, i just saw the leaves were opening up today which was yeah i saw which that. Was like oh shit i gotta get it out of the greenhouse but I, we're headed towards 24 i repotted two nights ago a, a, a rainy night throw it on the burn pile deciduous trident maple it's one of my favorite tridents it's got i got the roots coming out now i Every year I've lifted it out of the pot a little more to kind of do this mm -hmm. thing. Hopefully it's going to go on a Kulik slab. Nice. That's the, that's the goal. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, little I, Jan love. I like, I like the, I like the funkiness of, of some of the misgrown mishaps that handle happen in the it. field. And, ah. yeah. uh, I, but I also think there's like a re resurgence of pinging. Uh, and 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 some of the more extreme grotesque forms of pinging where people right. are kind of circling back and being like okay this whole like imperfect beauty is great and all but let's just let's just go whole hog like let's go all in on just something really kind of kind of gross Troy yeah. doesn't want to hear that <laughs> Troy that's doesn't fine. want to hear that <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's fine i mean i i think i think Troy likes his unique, thing <laughs> i think he likes unique and original yeah that's and, his thing. and so if you don't call it pinging it could be very it could be closer to pinging we could slip it in right we have to trick him <laughs> let me show a little of my ignorance does pinging predate bonsai yeah oh yeah it does yep. oh, okay yeah. so it's much older so bonsai grew out of pinging that's correct okay yeah which is which is i guess where i where i always feel like for people saying it's it's a, a appropriation to call you know bone what's happening in bonsai in the united states american bonsai like that's appropriating bonsai is japanese I, I i understand the title is japanese i do i do get that right and that's true because pinging is chinese bonsai is japanese i don't know what i don't know what will come from that right but the the interesting aspect of that moving pinging moving to japan and under the cultural influence of, of Japanese changing to bonsai. The, the, the entire aesthetic of it, the, the belief system behind it, the economy around it is, is Japanese, but it was originally pinging. Right. What right. if we go back a thousand years? We don't really know what was going on a thousand years in the nuances. There could have been multiple directions and that was just the direction that caught on there. You know what I mean? Like there's so many nuances that could have been going on thousands of years ago that we didn't really fully understand. Maybe Wait, they were. What are you talking about? So the Pingjing direction that China went on, they could have had other, you know, more, uh, more of a bonsai like aesthetic going. Well, I mean, there's five five known schools of Pingjing. So I mean, we're, we're I mean, it's a long time ago. You know what I mean? We don't really fully know what they were. I mean, they could have been in any direction. So that's my hope. We don't really know. So I, I just feel like we're circling back in some wonderful way no, I, th I mean i think they actually do know i mean i think a lot of it's represented in scroll paintings and documentation that has illustrations of the trees yeah. and containers and that's how that they know it existed and i yeah, think china's got a pretty tight historical record because the culture yeah. is five thousand years old yeah yeah they did burn a lot of it though ah which chairman mao burnt a few things yeah just a few 
And yeah. so I don't know. I yeah, it's it, this this stuff is this stuff is really fascinating. Maybe someday there'll be you know some faded picture of uh, you know of some bonsai tree in the United States that somebody in the in the future world will find and be like, look at look at what these guys were doing. Back they, look at what they invented. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm hoping we stumble across some 3, like thousand years from now, some right. writing that the Babylonians were like tying branches down and styling in a in a pot. Like, I mean, there's Egypt, I hope that happens. There's man. Egyptian documentation. There's Egyptian documentation yeah. of of trees existing in containers for aesthetic purposes, which is like, you know, it's that's kind of a loose association. There's also, from India, there's also some references to uh, the same thing in India. So I think humans bringing plants inside or closer to their living environment is just human nature. It's human nature. You just want them we closer. Probably since, you know, cavemen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they could have been, yeah, right? Bringing it so down As people day. had the time to not, totally stress about feeding themselves and surviving or you mean being killed by a like a like a you know not a liger oh my gosh I like a saber-toothed tiger i like that though a liger like, yeah a liger. I, like, <laughs> I like that why is it the first thing that came to my head because you're lime a liger <laughs> i uh yeah it, we do we, we it we are, we are living in a very luxurious time where we can sit and pontificate about bonsai yeah as as you say, which is very, very sage, like at the end of the day, we're playing with little trees and pots. Tiny trees. God, Tiny trees. Awesome. Right. So oh, they're so powerful. We shouldn't take it super serious. They're so yeah. beautiful and powerful. But I will say when we're repotting really, really timeless trees, it's, it's time to be serious. serious. It's, yeah. time, it's time to be serious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, the, the hands uh, that we got on that level of material, I mean, that's why I took this course. I encourage anyone who's thinking about taking a Marai course definitely do it oh, thanks bob because i mean i was touching a material that is priceless one-of-a-kind stuff mm. and you trust us and you're helping us and we're putting you know blue spruce on slabs and it's like now i feel like if i wanted to put a tree on a slab i would have the confidence to do it myself by nice. myself nice so yeah killer killer course that's the goal that's yeah. the goal that makes me feel good i appreciate that yeah i think when I first started teaching the, when I first started teaching classes here, and I didn't have very many trees, it was like super tough to, you know, oh, yeah. relinquish control. And then I also had this like massive control mechanism from like my apprenticeship, which was just like right. this tight, tight leash on everything. Right. But uh, as as I've seen students exist at Mirai for so long, you recognize everybody's here with the best of intentions. And and with with the desire to improve, it's 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 born into the people that come here, and I feel really fortunate for that. But it's always rewarding to see you guys take that step up. It's right. just it's super cool. Well, it's great to see you. You know, you have a great balance between making sure no disasters happen <laughs> and letting us learn, and you know, letting us have our hands on this incredible material. I know how personal all the trees must be to you. Sure. But now that you have a lot, it's like, okay, let's go back and see what we're going to work on today. It's like going to the, you know, it's like Christmas. <laughs> could do this, could work on this. Yeah. yeah. It's just great. And, and honestly, for me, I'm looking at it and thinking, what are all the things I have to get done? Right. Uh, <laughs> right. And it's how great. are they going to help me make this happen? Yes. And we can help out. It's, it's like, this needs uh, to be done. Let's do this. It's like beautiful. the redwoods. Like they all desperately needed repotting. Yes, so they day did. one, let's all do chunky redwoods. Yes. Yep. That's excellent. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful it's a beautiful marriage. I like the collaborative 
I like the collaborative nature of, yeah. of, 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 the, of the work. And I think, too, there's so many people from so many walks of life that come into Mirai and, and give a little bit of themselves to the garden. It's made it a very colorful place. For sure. Yeah. You can feel it. Yeah. 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 It has that eclecticness. Any other trees you want to talk about, Bob? Or are you pretty cooked? I'm pretty cooked. I'm cooked too, man. I mean, too, I've man. got stuff, but it's Let's been a long dinner. day. Let's rock it.